Did the Watchtower really say that God dissolved the body of Jesus in the tomb and Jesus only rose a spirit being? Yes, they did. That and more today in the Tuesday live stream where we tackle issues of theology and apologetics, the issues that matter today. And uh, today, what matters is showing you my new logo right before we jump into the stuff. There it is. <laughs> All right, so uh, welcome to the live stream. Let me tell you real quick how we're going to be doing this. Um, you might be watching on the replay. I will I will do all the content, all of the, the critique I'm doing today of an article that's on the Watchtower's website, jw.org. I'm going to be doing that first. Then I'm going to take your questions. And what I'll do with your questions is uh, you can you can submit them anytime during the stream. And then uh, my friend AJ Bernard is going to be monitoring our chat. And he will send them to me through the Messenger app. And I will be able to look at them on my phone. Answering your questions, hopefully, if everything goes well. That is, of course, assuming that you actually hear me right now. And unless someone sends me a message telling me I've totally blown it, I'll assume it's working. So uh, let's just jump straight into it. On... Uh, my, uh, my, my public Facebook page, Mike Winger Bible Thinker, I got the following message. Let me uh, send it to you right now. It says, a few months ago, before I saw your videos, I left the JW organization. And your video on them helped further my trust and gut feeling to leave their organization. However, as you stated, when you have been brainwashed for so many years, it's so difficult to remove their teachings fully from your heart. I would appreciate incredibly if you could take a look at this article from them. Um, now, we're going to look at this article. So there, the link was sent to me through the Facebook Messenger, Messenger app, but you can actually go to the video description right now and you can click and open into a new window, the article will be analyzing. I'll also show screenshots of it so you can follow along on the live stream as well. Um, she says, uh, and we'll call her Janet, my friend Janet here, your first video was great, but they came up with even more arguments. Please read this and make a video. You will help me put my last doubts um, in leaving them to rest and help my family and many others trapped in this organization. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to actually go through the article on jw.org um, and we're going to refute it. We're going to look at the points one at a time that are on there, the issues that show up on the article and refute them one at a time with scripture in context. That rare, beautiful thing that, that we just don't see enough today is scripture in context. So we're going to do that right now. So let's jump right into it. Here is the article on JW.org, which um, is, may I point out, the official website of Jehovah's Witnesses. This is the website, okay? This does represent, the content here is authoritative in that sense. <clears throat> um, this I also found on the website, one of their articles said, check the evidence for yourself. So if you're a Jehovah's Witness, this is okay for you to do. You're allowed to check the evidence for yourself. You're encouraged here to do it. And so we're going to do that today. In fact, there's the link if you'd like to pause the video and type it out. Again, you could just go to the, uh, to the, to the video description. The link is in there as well. So the, the, the article topic is what is the coming of Christ? And we're going to focus on really two issues. The first one is details about the coming of Jesus Christ. And the second one is uh, the resurrection of Jesus. Was he um, physically resurrected or spiritually? This is from the article itself. They say the Bible's answer is, and I'll just read this just to give it a full hearing so that we can critique it well and fairly. 
It says the scriptures make dozens of references to the future. The time when Christ comes to judge the people of the earth, for example, Matthew 25, 31 through 33 says, and they quote, when the son of man comes, Jesus Christ comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit down on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people one from another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. This um, time of judgment will be part of a great tribulation, unlike anything in human history. That tribulation will culminate in the war of Armageddon. Now, let me let me just say uh, briefly here, um, I, I think that already there's a, a couple issues. I'm not going to get into them because it will make the stream way too long if I tackle everything I see. But they're sort of blurring together all of the events around the coming of Jesus. The, the tribulation, the signs, the, the separation of the sheep and the goats. Everything's being sort of smushed together. Uh, but I won't try to unpack that because we want to read forward to the spookier stuff that we see later on. So let's let's continue here. Um, we've got um, that the enemies of Christ undergo digital punishment, everlasting destruction. Again, we can come to that some other time. And then we see this section here. It says, when will Christ come? Jesus said concerning that day and hour, nobody knows. Matthew 24, 36, it gives a couple scriptures here. However, he did describe a visible composite sign that would identify the period leading up to his coming. So according to JW.org, there is a composite sign. There's like a group of things that are going to happen, you know, that are going to say, okay, uh, Jesus is going to be returning when you see these, these sort of group of things. And then they quote a few verses. Look carefully at the verses they quote, because I disagree with them on the group of things that we'll see. And I disagree with the way they're using the scripture. In fact, I will say this up front. They're carefully and tactfully pulling verses out of context in order to trick you into thinking the opposite of what those verses are actually saying. And I'm not just going to claim that. I want to demonstrate it by looking at the verses themselves in uh, today's Tuesday live stream. So here we go. Um, the, the verses are Matthew 24. Um, 30, uh, 24, 3, 7, 4, Luke, excuse me, Matthew 24:3, verses 7 and through 14 as well, Luke 21. We're going to focus on the Matthew ones. Uh, the things I say in the, about the Matthew passage will apply to the Luke passage because they're parallel passages. So we're focusing on this concept. Uh, did Jesus really describe a visible, quote, composite sign that would identify the period leading up to his coming? Now let's look at the verses. And what I'm going to do now is look at them as the watchtower quotes them out of context. And you'll see how it would make you think that what they're saying is true. So here's how they trick you. It says, now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And then we skip forward several verses and he says, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they'll deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another and will hate one another. So the implication is that these verses, 7 through 14, and we'll continue reading, are a response to verse 3. Okay, so let's keep going. The rest of the section they quote is, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Okay, so what, what we've got so far is, you know, it, it appears as though it means exactly what the Watchtower says. 
But what they've done is they've hijacked these verses out of context. So to fix this, I don't have to do anything other than show you the whole chapter of Matthew 24, starting with not verse 3 and then jumping to verse 7, but rather starting with the beginning. So let's do that now. Matthew 24, verse 1. It says, make sure this is working for you guys. There it is. It says, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, this, this may not seem important, but this is the context. They say, look at this beautiful temple, and they're admiring the temple. And it was gorgeous. It was wonderful, right? But he says, look, these things are all going to be destroyed. And in fact, every single stone will be dismantled. And this is a tragic thing, and it shocks them to hear it. So they ask him in verse 3, now in context, they say, tell us when will these things be? Right now that they're privately alone, they're not going to ask him in public, but privately alone. And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? How many questions are here? Two. Two questions are being asked and Jesus is answering both of them in a rather complicated um, sort of eschatological explanation and end times statement. Here it comes. Now what we're going to do is we're going to read verses four through six. These are the verses the watchtower skipped deliberately to take you out of context. And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. I mean, that's the first thing Jesus says because he's going, look, this is a tricky subject and I already know the future and there's a problem. And here's the problem, verse five, many will come in my name saying I'm the Christ and will deceive many. So there will be false appearances, false Christs, statements about the coming of Jesus that will not be true when Jesus has not really come. So first thing he does is he warns them about what his coming will not be. That is the context of these verses. So he explains, don't be deceived. And then verse six, and you will hear war of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Now, let me just pause for a second and think of this. The wars and the rumors of wars, these are things that do not mean Jesus is coming. Let me say it again. They don't mean Jesus is coming. He says, and look again, do not be troubled by these things right? For all these things must come to pass, but the end is, quote, not yet. This is a powerful thing. Now, Jesus goes on. Now we have the context. Let's look at the verses the Watchtower quoted. The context here, these are things that don't mean I'm coming. For nation will rise against nation. This would be wars, right? And kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All these things at the beginning of sorrows. Then they'll deliver you up to tribulation, kill you. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And they will be, then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. So the context is this. Jesus goes, all this stuff happens before I ever come back. Those things do not mean I'm coming back. These are the things that will happen between my first and second coming. Let's read on because it gets better. <laughs> so here we go. He says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation. Now what I'm reading now is the verse that they didn't quote. They stopped at verse 14, but we're just reading in context. 
Jesus now says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house and let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. Okay, this is, uh, granted, this is a whole Bible study in itself, but let me just say this. Here's the point in, in context. In Matthew 24, Jesus gives a list of things that don't mean he's coming. And he says, the end is not yet, right? Then, then he says, here's the thing you watch for. Watch out for the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet. When you look at it in context, it's when this antichrist figure goes into the temple and he's offering sacrifices, basically declaring himself as God and he's profaning the temple with ungodly sacrifices and, uh, and then they're to flee. And so this is seen as a future event from Jesus's perspective to watch out for. Uh, read, you can read about it in Daniel uh, chapter 12, uh, chapter 11, uh, really read Daniel 9, 11 and 12, 10. Why not? You know, and study that on your own. But the point is, here's the sign. It's not the other stuff the Watchtower talked about. Let's read on because it gets better. Okay, so um, he says, but woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days and pray that your flight might not be uh, in winter or on the Sabbath. I just muted the mic because I have a cold, so I'm coughing. I'm trying not to blast your ears. Um, For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. So the tribulation, the tribulation Jesus speaks of in Matthew is something unlike anything that has ever happened on planet Earth. Ever. The major sign is the abomination of desolation, this thing. And then the tribulation to come is something that's never happened before. So it wasn't World War I or World War II. It wasn't, um, you know, you name some historical event in the past. All disqualified. All disqualified. It's a unique time in human history. So this sort of unravels a lot of Watchtower uh, prophetic predictions that have happened in the past. In fact, I have a video Um, which I linked in the description on false prophecies of the Watchtower organization. If you're interested in the documented times where they multiple times um, misstated the truth about the end. So let's continue. Um, As we go on, it says, Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Even the elect. So I've told you beforehand, therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the, in the desert, do not go out. Look, he's in the, the inner rooms, do not believe it. So Jesus is here warning them, warning them, don't believe reports of false Christs. There's going to be many false Christs that will rise up, but don't believe these reports. Don't believe anything anybody's telling you about these false Christs. Does that sound familiar? It really should. This is to guard us because Jesus knows and wants to protect his people from deception. By the way, did you notice the red alert I'm on back there? Red alert, because this is about theology. <laughs> Sorry, I just, I'm just having fun. All right, so let's keep reading because it just keeps getting better as we go on. It says in verse 27, Jesus says, okay, first, don't believe about these false reports of Christ. How will I know when the real Christ comes? Verse 27, for as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Um, that obviously is a challenging verse, verse 28, uh, a lot of debate about what exactly that means. Perhaps it's saying that the, the dead, the unsaved people, they'll be gathering to these false Christs and the false reports and the false stuff. But, um, but when Jesus shows up, everyone's going to see it. 
Maybe that's, there, that's one possible interpretation there. Verse 29 says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So these will be cosmic events when Jesus comes. Cosmic events. Uh, it's, it's not going to be a small, um, a small thing or anything repeatable or anything that you look back upon and go, was that the thing? I mean, it'll, everyone will know and everyone will see because from the east is to the west. So um, let's continue, actually. It says, because it just keeps getting better. Here's the last two verses we'll quote. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power, with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So just notice real quick, when Jesus comes, everyone will know. That's why you don't listen to people saying he's in an inner room or he's out in some distant location. When he comes, everyone will see him. Everyone will know. That's the plain sense of the passage. And immediately you, you might have people saying, no, Mike, there's Jehovah's Witness answers to that. Well, we're going to get into some of that right now. So let's go back to our article, the Jehovah's Witness article, and let's dig into it. So uh, the next thing that shows up in the article is this. Does Christ come in a body of spirit or a body of flesh? Does Christ come in a body of spirit or a body of flesh? Jesus, they say, was resurrected with a spirit body. So he comes as a spirit creature, not in the flesh. Uh, then they have these, these verses they quote, 1 Corinthians 15, 45 and 1 Peter 3, 18. For this reason, Jesus could tell his apostles on the day before his death, uh, in a little while, the world will see me no more. Will see me no more. So let's, let's look at um, some of this stuff in context. It, it, it kind of breaks my heart, to be honest, because this sort of comes out of nowhere to the, to the person. If you, all you ever have is a Bible, like you just, you just grab a Bible and you read it. And that's where you learn about Jesus. It never would have even occurred to you that Christ came with a body of spirit and not a physical body, that, that his resurrection, right? They say he died in a physical body, but that his resurrection was, was not physical, that he didn't physically rise. So this would not occur to you if you just read the Bible. But this is an important doctrine in Jehovah's Witness teaching. This is why they celebrate a memorial for Jesus' death, but they don't celebrate his resurrection as a physical thing. Um, so they really only got half of the story there. Um, so let's let's deal with this here. Um, the the passage I want to look at real quick here. Um, let me see. Oh, you know what? I'm going to come back to this. I think I just made my PowerPoint a little bit out of order. So we're going to come right back to this this passage about the body of spirit or flesh. Um, this is my first This is my first time, first time using PowerPoint on live stream. So forgive me if I'm a little clumsy. I promise I'll get better uh, next time around. I'm gonna learn from the mistakes I, I make, which I plan on making quite a few. So here's the um, common misconceptions about Christ's coming. Common misconceptions about Christ's coming. Misconception one, when the, according to the Watchtower, this is again from the article, they're saying people get this wrong. Misconception, when the Bible says that people will see Jesus coming on the clouds, it means that Jesus will come visibly, visibly. And then they quote Matthew 24, 30. Uh, the, then they say, fact, here's the true story. The Bible often associates clouds with something hidden from view. For example, God told Moses, I'm coming to you in a dark cloud. Um, Moses did not literally see God. Likewise, Christ comes on the clouds in that people perceive his coming, even though they cannot literally see him. 
this is this is kind of like a strange point to make, to be honest. Um, but it centers around the idea of these clouds. So let's let's look at some of the passages being quoted. I won't spend a lot of time on the cloud issue, but let's dig in. Um, in Matthew twenty four thirty, this is the verse. It says, "Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn." And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Notice it's the one they see is the Son of Man. It doesn't say they see the clouds of heaven. This is they see the Son of Man. He's coming and he's coming there. Seen the Son of Man coming, quote, on the clouds of heaven. He's not coming in the clouds of heaven. He's coming on the clouds. He's riding them in a sense. Speaking of judgment, speaking of perhaps even angelic beings coming with him. Um, but he's on, not in, and there is a big difference between those two things. And even the New World Translation says, on the clouds of heaven here. So, let's just finish this verse. It's important that we do it right. Um, so that they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and Greg Laurie. That's right, with power and Greg Laurie. So, moving forward, common misconceptions about Christ's coming. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just a dork. Um, here's another misconception. They say, when the Bible says that people will see... Jesus coming on the clouds, it means he will come visibly. That's the misconception. Of course, we, we looked at that verse, Matthew 24, 30. Now we're going to look at the Leviticus passage they quote for their, quote, fact moment. The Bible often associates clouds as something hidden from view, Leviticus 16, 2. Here's Leviticus 16, 2. Is the Bible doing what they say he's doing? And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, lest he die, for I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. Let's pause for a second. Who's going to appear in the cloud? And here is in the cloud, not on the cloud, different scenario, but still, God is going to appear in the cloud. Now, if God was so hidden from view by being in this cloud, why is Aaron going to die? If God was not appearing in the cloud, why does it say, I will appear in the cloud? So there is a cloud, and this may obfuscate in some sense God's, God's fullness of his glory, but yet they're still seeing God in a sense. And, uh, and if you think that's a contradiction, go to my Bible, supposed Bible contradictions playlist, and you will, uh, I'll explain that there for the, for the skeptic. But, but it's, it's in fact God who's appearing in this cloud. So this is, this is a great example of what I see the Watchtower do a lot. They quote the very verse that refutes them. And they act like it proves them right. Notice how they quote it. The Bible often associates clouds as something hidden from view. Leviticus 16.2. Is this a passage where God is hidden from view? No. He's not hidden from view. He's appearing in the cloud. And if Aaron goes in there at the wrong time, he's going to die. Because God isn't hidden from view entirely through this. So, all that to say that the claim that um, Jesus won't be seen, that this sort of refutes Matthew 24, 30. That's a silly, that's a silly idea, I think. And it doesn't bear out even with the verses they're quoting. But I want to move forward because there's other things in this article I want to approach. So the next, the next item in the article is this supposed misconception. It says, the expression, every eye will see him, used in Revelation 1, 7. And one of your, one of your questions that was just coming is about this. So hopefully this will answer that. Um, when speaking of Christ's coming is to be understood literally. That's the misconception, right? Revelation 1-7 shouldn't be understood literally. 
Now, I, I maybe we'll come to Revelation 1-7 in more detail later, but let me just take what they put as the fact, and let's tackle this issue here. The Greek words in the Bible for eye and seeing are sometimes used in the sense of discerning or perceiving rather than referring to literal sight. Now, if you want to believe the Watchtower is true, that might be enough to convince you that Revelation 1-7 is purely every eye will see him, that that's purely symbolic, you know, and that it's not like a literal thing that they're not literally going to see him. But if you are trying to just reason it through and say, well, what does the Bible really say on these issues? Then I don't see how that convinces you of anything because it's not enough to say these words are sometimes used symbolically. That doesn't mean these are always used symbolically. In fact, the normal use, over a hundred times the word I is used in the Greek New Testament, but more often than not, in fact, the vast majority of the times it's used, I did check, it's used in a literal sense. It's an I actually seeing. And when you put it in the context of he will appear and every eye will see him, how is this symbolic? Right? Because you're talking about a, a, a physical thing that happens and then a visual response to that thing. So he's not perceiving a truth, they're perceiving an appearance of a person. So the implication of Revelation 1-7 is that it should be understood quite literally. Um, so let's, uh, let's, let's take, for example, the passage in 1 Timothy 6-16 that we have here under the fact section. It says, the Bible says the resurrected Jesus is the one who dwells here we are, in unapproachable light, whom no man can see. 1 Timothy 6.16, thus every eye will see him, and that all the people perceive that Jesus is the one who brings God's judgment. So they're perceiving that Jesus brings God's judgment. They're not perceiving Jesus. So they're, in other words, they're comprehending a truth, not perceiving an event, not watching something happen. So this is, this is the verse they actually quote word for word, or not exactly word for word. It's, 1 Timothy 6.16. Now, look what they did here. Do you notice the dots? Do you notice um, these dots right here? There they are. The one dot 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 who dwells in unapproachable light whom no man dot 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 can see. 1 Timothy 6.16. Well, let's actually look at 1 Timothy 6.16 and ask, is because this is a pretty good proof text, right? I mean, if this is true... It's actually teaching nobody can see Jesus, and therefore Revelation 1-7 has to be taken symbolically. But let's look at the passage itself. What does it say? And why are there dots? <laughs> so, here we go. 1 Timothy 6-16, who alone has immortality. Notice the part where they already put the dot, dot, dots. Who alone has immortality dwelling in unapproachable light. Okay, well, Jesus alone has immortality. In fact, if you back up to verse 15, it's even bigger about Jesus. It's talking about how he is the only sovereign and it's actually very deifying to Jesus. It speaks of his godness. Um, so whom alone, who alone has immortality dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. So wait, these dot, dot, dots, they drop out the the, the glory of Christ. And then here they drop out who no man has seen nor can see. Do you see? <laughs> Do you see what I'm getting at? They haven't seen him. They can't see him. Okay, so in whatever sense you can't see Jesus in 1 Timothy 6.16, it's a sense in which no one has ever seen him. So it can't refer to seeing him physically because people saw Jesus physically. The Bible's full of examples of this, right? 
So the Watchtower is trying to use 1 Timothy 6.16 to say you can't see Jesus physically. But that can only be used that way if it means no one has ever seen Jesus in that way. What it's really saying here is Jesus. He's God. And in the same sense in which God has never been fully seen, that same sense, Jesus has never been fully seen because he is God. I mean, that's the consistent interpretation of the verse. So, once again, it's it's just obvious if you just notice little things like dot, dot, dots <laughs> and verses out of context, that sort of thing. So let's move forward into our next misconception, which is, I believe, yes, this is our last misconception. And then I'm going to take your guys' questions um, and uh, and then we'll try to we'll try to keep these uh, these live streams quick and to the point, and I won't be going on forever on them because that's how I like watching and consuming my content is just get to the point. So misconception: the words of Second John seven show that Jesus will come in the flesh. So again, the Watchtower is saying here, you uh, wrong-headed people, you're thinking that Jesus will come in the flesh because of Second John seven. Um, may I point out, those are that's not the proof texts that we would use to show that Jesus will in the future come in the flesh. That's not the proof text. So it's a trick being done here to take a bad proof text and then refute it so that it looks like you refuted. But if you want to really refute people, you should take the actual ways they prove their point and refute that, not a bad proof text. Um, so then they respond, the fact is, the Bible verse states, many deceivers have gone out into the world, those not acknowledging Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. And that's maybe not the best translation, but I won't argue with it, uh, because that's not our proof text. Then they say, in the Apostle John's day, some denied that Jesus had come to earth in the flesh as a man. They were called Gnostics. Um, okay, the Gnostics actually probably came a little bit later, really full-blown Gnosticism, but close enough. Here's... The Watchtower, though, actually getting the point of the passage, right? 2 John 7 was written to refute their false claims. So 2 John 7 was written to refute the false claim that Jesus uh, never had a physical body to start with. Of course, that's not what this debate's about. So here's the weird thing that they've done to, to the Jehovah's Witness who believes the JW.org article. Here's the weird trick they played on you. They, they've just like talked about some side issue and then act, acted like they've answered the real issue. They're trying to prove with this misconception fact, quote verse, they're trying to prove that Jesus did not actually come with a physical body after his resurrection. That he didn't resurrect into a physical form, but rather had a spiritual resurrection. And this is, this is the Watchtower teaching. They have other articles on this topic. Maybe we'll get into greater detail. If you guys request me to, maybe I'll do this. But they have articles that talk about how God dissolved the body of Jesus about how, um, and we'll get into some of it right now, but God dissolved the body of Jesus. And then Jesus, when he appeared to the disciples, he showed up with a fake body or a, a, a manifested body that wasn't the body of Jesus. So he's a spirit being. He's Michael the archangel, really, is what they think. And he comes in with this sort of fake temporary body, just kind of throws on a body to show up to the disciples here, to show up to the disciples there. And that's what they're trying to promote. But notice this, they do not offer any evidence for this, any evidence for this. They just say, here's a verse that doesn't relate. See, it doesn't relate. So we must be right. Okay. Well, quoting verses that have nothing to do with what we're talking about doesn't prove your doctrine. It just changes the subject and confuses people. So let's get into a few verses that I will now quote to offer as evidence that Jesus resurrected in a physical body. Jesus actually had a, the same body that died 
is the body that rose. That's what I'm saying. And that's what the Bible's saying. And it's beautiful. So here it is. Um, there it is for real. Okay, John 2, verses 19 through 21. Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, It's taken us 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Okay, Jesus is saying, If you destroy this temple, which is the temple of his body, the temple he's talking about is his body, they'll destroy the temple, the Jews will kill him, and then he's going to raise it up in three days. So he's clearly talking about the resurrection. But what is he raising? He's raising the temple of his body, which is the same one they destroyed. So here I'm, I'm, I'm quoting a verse before the resurrection, where Jesus predicts his resurrection, and he predicts that the same body they destroy will be the body that he raises. So unless Jesus lied or deceived or was joking or something, he would have raised in the same physical body. Let's look at it one more time. He says, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. Then they say, and they're confused, oh, it's taken 46 years to build a temple and you'll raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. So that's proof text one. I'd like to see a response to this. Here's proof text number two. That was before the resurrection. Now let's go to the resurrection, Matthew 28. But the angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here for he is risen as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I've told you. So, so just, on, okay, on the face of it, like, you would just assume that this was a physical resurrection. That the same Jesus that went into the tomb is the Jesus that went out of the tomb. But it's better than that. Let's look at the verse carefully. It says this. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. Who laid in the tomb? The Lord. The body of the Lord laid in the tomb. He laid in the tomb and he is risen. So the identity Jesus, the identity of Jesus didn't depart from that physical body after the crucifixion. When the, when the body was laid in the tomb, who was that? That was still the Lord's body. That was still where he lay. And he is risen, just as he said. So the context and the, the verbiage that's being used in Matthew 28 is clearly speaking of a resurrection of a physical body that died, that was crucified, and that rose, just as he said in the previous verse we already quoted. Let me give you another proof text. This is from after the resurrection. So we were before, during, now after. It's all consistent. The Bible's consistent with itself. Luke 24, verse 33 through 43, we'll quote through it. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they'd seen a spirit. What did they think they saw? A spirit. What does the Jehovah's Witness teaching say? Jesus rose as a spirit. This is specifically about the exact issue at hand, this passage. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself, handle me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see, I have. He's, he's saying these aren't just a manifested thing. This is something that's not something. If someone's just a spirit, they don't have this. It's my hands, my feet. He's speaking of the wounds from the cross. So the implication that we're actually getting from the watchtower is that Jesus manifested a fake body where he put wounds there to trick people into thinking that that body had been crucified. 
that doesn't sound reasonable to me. Let's go because it gets better. <laughs> Let's continue on. So then he says, um, after he tells him to behold him, to hold his hands and feet, it says, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb and he took it and ate in their presence. And the, the purpose of his eating in their presence was to demonstrate that he really was um, uh, physically alive after death. This is to show he's not a spirit. He's doing this not just because he's hungry, but also to demonstrate the the fact that I'm not just spirit. I am the same guy that was crucified. Look at my hands and feet. See the scars. Okay, another passage in John 20. This is a different time when Jesus appears. The other disciples therefore said to him, we've seen the Lord. And they're speaking to Thomas. We, we know him as doubting Thomas. Uh, sadly, I, I think we could come up with a better term for him as, how about just Thomas? <laughs> so he said to them, unless I see his hands and the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Notice that Thomas, his request is not just to see Jesus alive. He wants to put his hand into specifically the print that was, was caused by the very nails of the cross. Those nails caused that print. And Thomas says, I won't believe unless I see that. Now look at what happens next. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them, Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Now, if God wanted us to believe that Jesus was manifesting some sort of temporary physical body. Why is it written so like this is the same body that was crucified? Doesn't it seem as though God went through great pains to get the text to be written just to refute the Jehovah's Witness doctrine? I think it does. I think that I think that's what God did actually, because He knew ahead of time this would be needed. Okay, that is um, that is the the full. Um, refutation of the article. So what I'm going to do right now is I want to open this up to your guys, your guys comments. I have a few questions here and, um, <clears throat> and just thank you guys for joining me. I appreciate this. I have a question from, <coughs> from Noces. It says, Mike, what do you think of the preterist idea that the abomination of desolation is Titus who destroyed the temple in 70 AD? Um, I will give a, a, a short version to that, a short answer to that. My, my thought is the preterist idea, which is that really full preterism, the idea that pretty much all those prophecies Jesus talked about, not only there, but in Revelation as well, that was all fulfilled in 70 AD. This is not a Jehovah's Witness uh, thing. This is, this is just uh, one branch within Christianity that says we think this about, you know, this eschatological view. My thought is that preterism uh, doesn't hold ground um, when you play it out through all the passages of scripture. So I think preterism sounds really good. At, at first, you know, you start talking about the destruction of the temple and you go like, man, that, that pretty well lines up. But you, the more you get into it, the further along you get with preterism, the more it just starts to, you have to really stretch the text. And I feel like it, it starts to make me betray what seems to be a clear reading of the text. But I'll say this, um, our disagreement here with Jehovah's Witnesses on the resurrection, that's an essential issue. Preterism is not an essential issue. This is eschatology and, um, uh, the truth is we're all going to find out how right or wrong we are in eschatology eventually. Uh, but I don't think it'll affect our salvation directly unless um, we bring it into some kind of gospel issue as well. So there, there's a, a short answer on that. <clears throat> um, and I don't think Titus fulfilled the abomination of desolation. I'll 
offer that as well. Titus, I do not think, did anything that really corresponds to Daniel's description of the abomination of desolation. Um, the next question here is, it says, uh, Revelation 1-7. Oh, excuse me, I'm sorry. We already covered that. So it says, uh, comment from Mike Van. It says, Pastor Mike, oh, you're one of my favorite teachers. <laughs> Thank you very much, Mike. I, uh, I would not probably have normally read a comment like that online because I, I feel like a silly person for reading that. But uh, let me read the next one. It's from uh, Elizabeth Hernandez. Is Matthew 28, verse 6, proof we could use when Muslims ask to show where the Bible says Jesus was God? Matthew 28, 6. Let's bring it up here. It says in Matthew 28, 6, um, He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. Um, this is speaking, if this, we were going to use this as evidence for the resurrection of Christ, um, absolutely. Because according to Islam, Jesus, he literally didn't even get crucified. So this is great text to prove that Jesus was actually crucified, actually died, actually rose again from the dead. In Islam, they, they say that he was never crucified. God wouldn't allow one of his prophets to go through that. Of course, read the Old Testament. God allows us prophets to go through some pretty hairy stuff. Um, so that's great for that. I, I don't think I'd use it to prove the deity um, of Christ or show that Jesus is God. For that, I would go, my favorite text is John 1, John chapter 1. And to look, you know, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. And then it just goes on and on. It just gets better and better as you continue. So we have another question um, from Judah Matthews. It says, Mike, what do you say about Matthew 24, 34, where Jesus says all these things will be Will take place before this generation passes away. Actually, Judah, I'm really thankful that you asked that question. I, I kind of almost wish I'd mentioned that earlier. So Matthew 24, 34. <clears throat> okay, in the Matthew passage that we were um, we were looking at, uh, we actually read through most of Matthew 24, right? So you have the context kind of fresh in your mind. Jesus says, "These are not the signs of my coming. Don't let them freak you out." This sign of the abomination of desolation, all this stuff is the sign of my coming. But if you follow the passage, it seems to me that Jesus is saying, um, here's now, here's a whole bunch of stuff that's going to happen. You know, nations and wars and pestilences and famines and and persecutions and even your your guy's death is even you know implied that's going to happen. And then the abomination of desolation happens. So, so then a flip switch, uh, uh, yeah, a switch flips and it starts, right? The, the countdown begins. So the countdown isn't famines and wars and pestilences. The countdown is the abomination of desolation. That's the thing. Not one generation will pass away. Not that generation will pass away. So in that context, I'll read uh, the verse itself. Matthew uh, 24, um, 34. He says, um, Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. So... In other words, the short answer is, I take the phrase, this generation, um, oh, that whole time I had you guys on the boring screen. I'm very sorry. I know you want to look at this boring face instead. So that, that whole passage is a reference to, uh, the whole generation is a reference to like the latter end of the prophecy, the, the abomination of desolation. Boom. When you see this, that's the sign. Then you've got a generation. So that's, that's what I, I, I take it to mean. So, um, hey, you guys, this has been the first of, I think, many, hopefully, God willing, 
live streams on Tuesday. On Tuesday, I'm going to focus on doing theology and apologetics. I will try to pick one issue, one article, one video, one topic, and I'm going to like just hack away at it with um, with my my best my best go, you know. And um, and then we're gonna we're gonna do that I think weekly. So my new routine, my new plan for for 2018 is this: is Mondays at 5 p.m. I'll upload a verse by verse teaching from my Sunday night service. Uh, right now we're going through the book of Romans. Tuesdays I'll do the live stream at 5 p.m. After the live stream, it will go, it'll stay on YouTube. You can go look at it later if you like. And then Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Um, I want to load up something called Wisdom in the Word. And that is basically just taking one, one, one piece of wisdom, one really edifying, good, needful thing, and sharing it out of God's Word uh, to bless you guys. That's my plan for this year. And I will let you know if it changes for some reason. And, but at least for the time being, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to try this see how it goes. I love hearing your feedback if you think that's a good idea. Um, and what would you like me to cover? You want to send me an article, send me a video, send me something that you think, Mike, please talk about this. I think people need to hear it. I would appreciate that. So thank you so much. And uh, thanks, AJ, for uh, doing my um, my comment section and sending me those comments. I really do appreciate it. Uh, God bless you guys. And um, and may we may we be biblical. And may I have one, one final message to any Jehovah's Witness. You have been trained, I think, by the Watchtower to read verses out of context, to take verses and actually not even think about the context, right? To just have a general idea, have a verse that sort of relates to that and go, okay. But what you've got to do is start reading these verses in context. It's not a magic trick. It's just patiently looking at them in context. That's all you got to do. And you will be able to start plotting through these issues and figuring it out on your own. And you can stay safe with the text of scripture. And I, I think that that would be uh, something that would serve you well. Learn to read it for what it says. All right. God bless you.